Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Beyond the Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Pabuda. I'll be joined today by uh, our usual co host, Alex Boudreau. Um, we decided to drop a um, special episode for you guys today in lieu of the 10-year anniversary of Eric Legrand's um, paralyzation injury. Um, it's his 10th annual walk, and obviously with the, the circumstances um, going on, they decided to do a virtual um, virtual walk. So um, we're going to put the link in the description of this episode. Um, for those of you who don't know Eric Legrand, um, he was the Rutgers football player who 10 years ago um, had gotten paralyzed on the field and he's just been such an inspiration since um, and his story is just incredible and you know he's been in, involved in so many different things um, since then um, and you know more so people are just following the journey um, on top of that but we wanted to talk to him about some of the other ventures and endeavors he's got going on so um, you know we go over that with him as well um, but yeah in lieu of, of like I said the virtual walk being this weekend we wanted to bring some awareness to it and um, you can find the link in the description of the episode um, and sign up uh, for a good good cause. So, yeah, um, really excited to, to share this one with you. Big fan of him, huge inspiration. Um, and, yeah, let us know what you guys think. Bruce, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time! Recording out of New York City, New York. Welcome to the Undisputed Greatest Podcast in the World Beyond the Brand. Eric, again, thank you for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Um, let's just dive into it. Tell us a little bit uh, about your upbringing, you know, growing up in uh, Avenel, uh, Woodbridge, and, 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 you know, how you, how you, Develop your love for football? Oh, man, growing up in Avenel, uh, was one of the best things for me. I grew up in, I believe, in one of the most diverse areas in the state of New Jersey. You get a mixture of everything when you live in Avenel. I, t- I can tell you that. And uh, my love for football became, you know, my, my passion when I was five years old on the side of my house. We used to have this, like, we had a lot more grass than we had house. Small house, a lot of grass around the corner. So we would play football on the side of my house and there was my two friends Joey and Dougie who were the same age as me but then there was this one kid Charlie who was five years older than us and we would play kill the man with the ball mm-hmm. and I was usually the only one who can every now and then juke out Charlie on the side of my house when I was five years old and score a touchdown and getting that adrenaline rush at five years old development for my passion for football and maybe sign up for flag football that year yeah that's awesome and then from there, obviously, you know, throughout high school, take me a little bit through high school football, playing at Colonia High and, um, you know, the recruiting process and then the decision to go to Rutgers. Yeah, my freshman year, uh, our middle linebacker got injured and I got called up from, from freshman football to play the last three games um, on varsity and ended up having 45 tackles in three games. And 
Rutgers was actually recruiting our crosstown rivalry, this kid by the name of Shamar Graves over at Woodbridge. And he put on the Woodbridge game film and was watching. And they said, who's that kid? And the coach was like, yeah, he's only a freshman. And he, he came right over to my school and he offered me right there. He wrote, a, he wrote on a piece of paper saying, you know, by this day, September 1st of your junior year, which Jesus, 2006, whatever, you'll be receiving a full scholarship to Rutgers football. And, you know, that, that was my journey to, you know, to go to Rutgers University. You know, I was being recruited, you know, by a lot of other schools. You know, I remember that recruiting process very well because when I was getting recruited, it was the years when they were balling out, when Ray Rice and Mike Teal and Kenny Gray. Jersey guys, so I remember those days. Exactly. 06, 06, 07 years. I, I, stormed, I stormed the field. I was there as a crew, stormed the field versus <laughs> stormed the field versus South Florida. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, I'm like, I live 20 minutes away from this campus. Where else am I going? Where am I going? Yeah. Did you get any other offers? Oh, yeah, Virginia, Maryland. I was recruited by Notre Dame in Florida, Miami, Florida State. I remember texting back and forth with Urban Meyer back then before he was Urban Meyer. You know what I mean? He's texting me, telling me he's at his kid's uh, uh, baseball game in the Little League Baseball back then. And it's crazy because it was before he started winning those national championships. Cause I believe his first one was in 2008. And I remember being a recruit in like 2006, 2007, just texting back and forth with him. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Do you still reach out to him today? No, I don't, I don't even know if he has the same number anymore. <laughs> that, was the, the, that was the Florida number. I know Cociano, he keeps the same number, but yeah. I don't know if Urban if kept the same number. And I remember Charlie Weiss came to, I got a funny story. He came to my high school to recruit me. Charlie Weiss, at the time, was the man at Notre Dame. And comes up to my, he told my coach, when I get there, I don't want to see anybody. I just want to come in there, talk to you, talk to Eric, and that's it. <laughs> so he gets comes up in a black limo, and this kid I remember Shami Patel. I remember I was good, good friends with him. Was out there changing the board. Was like you know how you change the board in front of your school about whatever events you have coming up. Yeah. And he turns around and literally goes, "Holy!" Sh-, and <laughs> runs up to Charlie Weiss and asking for a picture right there. And, I, and he looks at me at the door. He goes, "I'm only doing this for you, you know." That I was like. <laughs> It was crazy, crazy. So, so you, did you? Was there ever any really competition? Or you just said not nah, Rutgers. They were like you said, they were balling like close to home. You just felt like you wanted to do it, like you wanted to stay there. Yeah, that was definitely competition. I had a plan on going actually to visit uh, Miami, Florida, and Florida State all in one visit this summer of my junior, uh, going into my senior year. But I, I remember I was talking to Coach Shiano and we just started. We started, you know, shoot, we were just shooting the breeze one day. And he was like, he goes, where do you stand with us? We, you know, we've been recruiting you since your freshman year. You know, we've had your back through this whole thing. And I was just like, you know what? You are right. You know, you guys have been through me through the SATs and qualified. No matter what, you guys had, had my back through this. And I'm like, you know what? I think I want to commit to you. I said, I think I want to commit. He goes, listen, men give their word. And when they, they don't go back on their word, when they commit to something, they see it through. So if you want to commit to me, we would love to have you, but I don't want to give you and I think I said, uh, Coach, let me call you right back. <laughs> and I cried. I, I, I was, imagine being a 16 year old kid here. And I was like, uh, so then I called my mom and I told my mom, I want, you know, I think I want to commit to Rutgers. Mom, she was all for it because I said I was right here. They've been there since day one. And then I got the blessing from my mom and I went and I called Coach back and I committed to him in May of my junior year. That's awesome. Yeah. 
So um, take us through, I mean, obviously your relationship with Coach Gianna has grown even more throughout the years, but like, what was it, what did it, what did he mean to you at that time? Like, like you said, like in New Jersey is a big deal. Like Rutgers football was elite. Like it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Coach Seattle told us when he was recruiting us, he treats all of his kids like they're his family. Yeah. As was his big selling bitch. And he did, he gave us tough love. He made us work. And when, now when you're my age now at 29, you look back on it and you're like, wow, it was, that's, you know, he was really just setting us up for the real world. Yeah. When you're going through it and when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you're sitting there like, what the hell am I doing? Why, why am I going through all this? You know, why is he making us do this? Why is he making us do that? But then as you get to our age now, you're just like, wow, yeah. there's a reason for all of that. And no better way to show that than when, after my injury, the way he was there for me. Yeah, it really did treat me like I was one of his kids. Absolutely. Yeah, I read a little bit. You, you wouldn't mind helping him recruit for Rutgers. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely, you know, whatever I can, you know, to make Rutgers back to the glory days, even better than better was back then. Like you said, we got to number seven. All the way up to being number seven in the country, he wants to get to number one then. Yeah. He has the passion. He's picked up a lot of different tips from being able to coach with Urban Meyer, being able to go visit Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. And mm-hmm. he knows uh, the second time around, I think it's going to be even better, but you got to get these kids to want to come to their program. And right now he's doing a hell of a job, number 10 before the class in the nation. Just got to hold on to these kids and try to build this, you know, this area right here in New Jersey, get these kids to stay home. Yeah, that, well, that, that, was, that was the next question I was going to ask you is you see how much talent comes out of New Jersey, especially football. Uh, I mean, like, that's the biggest thing. And that, that, that's why he was so successful back then is that he, he would get people in this area to stay. So how important is that moving forward? We, like, we need that because when Rutgers football is great, it's great for New Jersey. Like, it's great for all of us. So how important is, is that? I'm so happy you said that. When Rutgers football is good, it's good for the entire state. That's why I went, you know, I, I laid it all out there to try to get him back here to Rutgers because when he's been at Rutgers and Rutgers football is blazing, the Empire State Building is lit up red. There's a buzz around New Jersey, something to be excited for in the fall. I know we have every type of sports team there is around here, you know, between baseball, football, basketball, hockey, everything is out here, soccer. But when you look at – um. You look at Rutgers football, we're the only college team yeah. that's playing in a power five conference. Imagine the buzz that would be around our, our program yeah. if he if, if they can get all these Jersey kids to stay right at home. And you're right here. Believe me, everyone always thinks that the grass is green on the other side going to Michigan, Ohio State, Florida. Yes, you'll get some gems that come out of there that are from New Jersey, but a lot of them want to come back. Yeah, They realize that, wow, you know, I probably should never have left my state in. You, get, you have the opportunity to build something special right here in New Jersey. And it's just so, it's just, there's so much talent that really does come out here. If like just a few of them said, yo, if you say I stay, like and we, they all stay together, I mean, it would be, it would be unbelievable. Like, I, I mean, that's really It's like a fantasy dream. Like, he, like if you say, I'm going to stay here, all the different four stars for even we get five stars here too. If they all stay together, it's amazing. So far, we're doing pretty well with this recruiting class coming up. But like you said, just imagine all of that, those four stars and the five stars. And he did always have to develop the three stars and even two star guys. But imagine all of them come and just stay here. Ooh. I know. Ooh, the stadium will be expanding that stadium from 52,000 to 80,000. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, all right. So let's go, let's go now into, uh, into college. So take us a little bit when you started to see some playing time. And then, um, obviously we want to talk a little bit about the day of the injury and, kind of what your mindset was going through that, like in the moment, like, deal. 
Yeah, well, I'll go to when I first got there. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a whirlwind for me, and I thought I lost the love of the game of football my freshman year because I got recruited in there to play middle linebacker. I picked number 52. I think I'm going to be the next Ray Lewis. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my goal, my dream. And first day training camp, I get a call up from Coach Yano to come up to his office. I'm like, oh, what I do? Uh, I remember I made my goal weight. My goal weight was 232 pounds. I came in at 230. It was perfect. I lost the weight that I needed to in order to get down to the play position I won. And first day training camp, coach looks at me and says, hey, E, I think we're going to move you to nose guard. And I'm like, nose guard? I'm like, that's down in the trenches where you got to be 300 pounds and fighting mm-hmm. against some line. I never played a down in my life with my hand on the ground. Yeah. Ever. I was always in the, either a linebacker or a safety. Now you want me to play like this? Oh, it was crazy. And my freshman year, it was rough. I remember I was getting thrown around and I was getting put in a fire in the practices that put with the ones and twos just to get some experience. And I'm not going to lie to you, I got my ass whooped. <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. But then after you, after you start to get, you know, the hang of it, you go into that survival mode and then you start to learn you know, the position and training behavior becomes instinct. So start to learn different techniques. And remember in the uh, second week of the season, our defense, our, one of our defensive linemen at the end took, tears his ACL. So now I get bumped over to the second string defensive end. So now I'm learning how to play on the outside. And we go through the season about midway through the season, our fullbacks aren't producing much. Yeah. I get bumped out the fullback. Now I'm on the offensive side. Learn, it sound like a, learning the plays is like a different language. Yeah. It was crazy. Then I, I played fullback for two weeks, get bumped back to defensive end for the rest of the season. Then when the season's over, I go back to nose guard. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I was like, what the like what is going on? Like this was not my plan yeah. at all. So meeting with coach. After the season was over, I said, Coach, like, like, what's going on? Like you put me here, playing me there, blah, 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 this and that. He goes, Listen, B, you think I would have put you out there if we didn't trust you to get the job done? Sometimes you're gonna realize you're gonna have to sacrifice the love and what your plan was for the betterment of the team and have the confidence that we believe in you to go do all these different things. Mm-hmm. We trusted you. We put you out there in real game time at every one of these positions to go get the job done. You think I'm throwing you out there if you weren't ready yet? I trust you to be a leader of your class and amongst this team one day. So you got to go out there and sometimes you're going to have to sacrifice. And I was sitting there like, <laughs> you're right, coach. You're right, Anna. Uh, that's one of my one of my core values I live my life by. Sometimes love is sacrifice. The love of the game of football for me, which I thought was gonna be something else, I had to sacrifice so much more, you know, in order to put the team in the right position. Absolutely. Yeah, because no matter what position you are, you could be second string, third string, bench, everyone still has a role on the yeah, team. That can, a role. You know, you have your role, exactly. You have your role, you find your way through that and you work your way up to get into a better position where you can like I said, I wanted to be a leader of the team. And your, your whole freshman class, too. In high school, they were all the stars. And, you know, once they come into the college, it's, it's kind of like a wake-up call and yeah. how you respond to it. You, you're at the bottom of the totem pole again. You know, you got you to earn your, earn your stripes kind of thing. But, oh, yeah. only, only three of us from my recruiting class played right away. The rest of the, the those 25, I believe, in our class, other 22 kids redshirted. So, you know what I mean? You just talk about working your way up from the bottom. And I was one of the three that didn't redshirt. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of kids quit, too. Like, they, um, to add that to my yeah. roommate from here, quit. Yep, they quit. They go on. They, this is not for me. This wasn't my plan. They give up. When adversity hits, man, it really tests all of us. It really tests on how much you can handle and what you can push through. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, 
Sorry. So take us now to uh, the day of the injury, October 16th. Uh, it was 2010, I believe, right? Uh, yep. Um, take us through that day. Um, you know your mindset when all that was happening, like as, at like in that moment. Yeah, you know that day that changed my life. You know, I did my regular routine like I always do. I remember talking to the cat that every pregame I would go out and play catch with one of my teammates before the game and do a little work on the on the pads on the on the goalposts and whatnot. And that game, we had a camera company like crew. I was there because we were at MetLife Stadium. Mm-hmm. And I remember just talking to the camera, and that was like the last time I was on a film, you know, besides playing the game mm-hmm. without, you know, before my injury, up on my feet walking again. So every time I see that, it's like, wow, like that was the last time I was up on my feet. But, yeah, we had just tied the game up 17-17 to 17 in the fourth quarter versus Army Black Knights who came back. And I remember running down on that kickoff saying, I want to make a big play for my team. I want to get everyone fired, fired up, get the – that quick three and out, get our offense back on the field and score and win the game. Mm-hmm. That kickoff, I was facing a double team that game, which means two guys came to block me. But that particular kickoff, I was able to get right through the two guys. So I had a good 30, 40-yard head start on this guy. I'm going to make this tackle on that. I remember the guys were behind me, so I'm running as fast as I can. And I said, this is going to be a big collision. Do I want to use my head or do I want to use my shoulder? And if you ever played football before, if you're going to tackle with your head, if the coach and we always say, you see what you hit, you keep your head up. I said, this is going to be a big collision. I don't want my head to be in at all. I'm going to use my shoulder on this play. So I went down there to make the tackle, and my teammate got down there half a second before I did, and he dove at the guy's legs. And when he dove at the guy's legs, he got tripped up, and his body twirled in the air. I put my head down thinking it wasn't going to be an tackle at all. But when his body twirled in the air, it changed the angle, and the crown of my head went right into the back of his shoulder blade. I remember him, boom, and... I hit the ground and the crowd was like, ooh. I try to get up to celebrate. And the first person that comes over to me, you see Deron Harmon, who plays with the Patriots. He looks down at me like, let's go, Ian. And my eyes were just bulging out of my head. And the last thing I felt was my heels hitting the ground. And then I was trying to spit my mouthpiece out when I was pushing it on my tongue. And then they waved over to the trainers. And the trainers get out to me. They go, is it, is it your head or your neck? And I said, I can't breathe. It sounded just like that. I can't breathe. And they're like, can you feel this? Can you feel that? And I'm like, I can't breathe. From there, Coach Yano comes out. He looks down at me. He goes, E, you have to pray right now. And honestly, when he said that to me, I thought my life was over. And I'm like, you know what? I can't move. I can't breathe. And now my coaches tell me to pray. At one point, I closed my eyes and I said, God, take me at ease. But as nothing happened, I was still praying for a gas with everything that happened. And they put the cart under me. And when they put, put the cart under me, and went to lift me up to, I mean, put the board under me to lift me up onto the cart. Mm-hmm. Somehow I caught a gasp of air. So I said, you know what? I just knocked the wind out of myself because that's exactly what it felt like. You know, when you knock the wind out of yourself, mm-hmm. exactly what it felt like. And I remember getting carted off the field, went to give that thumbs up and felt like the weight of the entire world was on my hand, couldn't move it. And see my mom and my sister in the end zone, I told them I'm going to be okay. And they put an oxygen mask on me when I get into the ambulance. I went to take that deep breath in, like, I went to take a deep breath in and nothing happened. Could not exhale the air. And I remember just blacking out and passing out right there in the ambulance. And then, so what was the next thing you remember just being in the hospital? Like, what was it like, later that day? Was it the next day? Like, what was it? I, there's three things I remember when I remember first getting to the hospital and getting carted down the hallway. Like in a movie scene when you're looking up at the lights, mm-hmm. that junk is real. Mm-hmm. It is real. 
getting carted down the hallway and you're looking up at the lights and it's like, boom, 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 boom. It's real. That, that definitely happened to me. Then I remember I blacked out. I woke up and I was, remember I was in a room with, with a bunch of doctors, but it sounded like they were speaking a different language. Boom, I black out. I wake up one more time and I'm in a room with just a bunch of monitors and sounds going off by myself. And then I black out again and then I don't remember anything until Wednesday and that injury happened on Saturday. Wow. Wow. And then, so like what, like by that Wednesday, like what, what becomes your thought process? Cause like, I mean, you, I, that's such an overwhelming thing to take, like take in. Like, I mean, you, you finally start to come back to like reality, you realizing like the, 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 the magnitude of the situation of what just happened. Like what, what was your first thought? Like what was your first thing? When I, when I remember just coming to on Wednesday, I remember looking up and my whole room was now decorated by my mom and family with posters and jerseys and helmets and all these things that people were sending in to me and all these letters that were in my room in a, in a bag, in a garbage bag full of letters from people. So I'm look, like, you know, looking around as much as I can at the time, moving my neck and, you know, my family was there. So I was happy to see them and I, you know, and wherever was starting to come around, then my friends started to come. So these are people I, you know, that my of course college friends, but people from middle school and high school I haven't seen in a long time were starting to come and visit me. So really, I'm just like, hey, how are you guys doing? Like, you haven't seen you guys in a while, and I'm trying to have a conversation with them. It took my mind away right away from everything that was going on because I was seeing people that I hadn't seen in such a long time. So, you know, I feel like you got so much to catch up on, and it was just a rotating door of people coming in until I was just tired and I couldn't take anymore. So that immediate positivity that came to mind, when everyone came in there, they were like, hey, you're going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. But kind of like when you're in that situation, it's like, all right, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to get through this. We're going to all get through this together. Little did I know that most of them, when they left, after seeing tubes coming out of me every which way, neck brace can't move, I heard that, you know, they told me later on that they were bawling their eyes out and crying. No one ever showed that emotion in front of me. Everybody was positive. And my mom said, I found out later that my mom said, whoever goes in that room this season, this season has to be positive. And that came because of the night of the surgery. I kind of remember this and I kind of don't, but they let, after they told my mom that I fractured my C3, C4 vertebrae, I'll never walk again. I'll never breathe on my own. I'll never eat solid foods, never do this and that. And they're hoping I'm strong enough to make it through this extensive surgery. My mom was devastated after hearing that news and they let me see her before I went into surgery. And I guess the adrenaline was still going from the game. And I kind of remember this, but not really, but they let me see it. My mom said the first three words I said to her was, I'll be back. And when she heard that, she said, this, this, this man is fighting already. We got to fight for him. And whoever sees him better have a positive outlook. And that jump started everything. That's unbelievable. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you know, but you've been such an inspiration to so many people and it's incredible. So take us a little bit now. I mean, we're going to get into a lot of stuff you're doing now, but take us a little bit through, you know, that recovery process and, and, you know, how, you know, coach Shiano is visiting you a lot and, and, Obviously, you got a lot of support, like you mentioned, but take us through that. Like, you I mean you're still in the recovery process, but you know how you made steps over the years, over the last ten years, and and how important Coach Shiano has been to you in these past ten years. Yeah, it was it was tough in the very beginning because you go from being this big Division One college football player to now having all these nurses and nurses' aides relying on them to take care of you and do this. You can't move, you can't breathe. You're hooked up to every tube which way and. Just your life is flipped and turned upside down. You have to learn to trust other people. 
Cochiano, man, he was he was a rock. Finally, my mom didn't sleep for like the first probably four or five days, and finally she needed to go and get some rest. So they got her a hotel that was right next to the hospital. And after she, my, after everyone would leave, you know, after they came and visit throughout the day, it'll be my mom, my sister, and my aunt there, and they would have to go get some rest. Cochiano would come that first week and a half, two weeks every night and he would relieve my mom around 11 p.m. and he would sit in my room until about 1 2 p.m. 2 a.m. in the morning just sitting there on the computer just going breaking down film but he wanted to make sure somebody was there with me and I can't thank him enough for that because those terrors of the night they're real I'm not gonna lie I didn't sleep I probably didn't sleep at night at all which is why I was falling asleep so much during the day but I was by myself sometimes and I didn't I can't move now I gotta trust these nurses and everything but Mm-hmm. Having him there for those first that week and a half, two weeks was huge. And then I started to have conversations with the nurses and that helped me get through those nights. But the terrors of the night when you're by yourself like that, it's, it's real. It's real. I believe it's crazy. So, so um, yeah, so you regain movement in your shoulders and sensation <laughs> throughout your body. What was it like returning to your teammates at Rutgers Stadium against Virginia? How was that moment too? Oh man, those those are good, man. I started, yeah. After I got out of the Hackensack Hospital, I got over to Kessler. You know, I had a you know a little stint where I had to go to the hospital right after, but came back five days later after that stint, and I was ready to go and start working on my rehab. And yeah, I started to get started to get better, and things started to come back for me that they were, told me that when I was able to breathe on my own five weeks after my injury, after they told me I'd be on my ventilator for the rest of my life. Um, I started eating solid foods at Thanksgiving. I got hurt on October sixteenth. That Thanksgiving, I was able to eat full solid meal with my family. Then uh, I started. Remember, at the, during the Super Bowl party I had that year, so it was February 2011. We were having it up at Kessler, and I remember I moved my shoulder just a little bit. So now you see me, I'm moving around, shooting, uh, dancing, all this stuff. So things started to come, was to come back for me, and I started to get confidence in and whatnot. And I remember that that game finally when I got home and everything. And everyone's like, well, every, the Rutgers fans are going to want to see you eat. Like, they're going to want to, want you to be a part of this season somehow. Because it was the following year. Yeah. And I remember looking at this when the schedule came out. I'm like, hmm, let me pick a good game. Like, I got to make, make this impactful. And I saw we play West Virginia at home. And we've always struggled versus West Virginia. So I'm like, you know what? That's going to be the game. I come out the tunnel. And, of course, October 29th, 2011 comes rolling around it. We get five feet of snow overnight <laughs> for the West Virginia game. And I wake up that morning and everyone's like, e. and a lot of you, a lot of people don't know with my injury. I can't regulate my temperature anymore. So I'm always cold. I get very cold very easily. And in the summertime, I don't sweat anymore. So I can even, I can overheat real easy. I can legit cook myself. And mm-hmm. yeah, I get it from the dysreflexia from the spinal cord injury. If I get too hot, I won't be able to cool myself down. I could die. Yeah. Yeah, so it's crazy. So, but I like I said, most of the time I'm cold. Always cold, 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 cold. So they're like, e, "You're gonna do this right now?" I said, "You know what? All the adversity I've been through over this past year, I promised the fans. I promised everyone I was gonna do it. Let me go out there and I'm and I'm gonna show them that, you know, through it all, even a snowstorm, it's not gonna stop me, not gonna hold me back." Or again, get out the van. I was like, "Damn, what the hell am I doing right now?" Yeah. It is blizzard. I'm freezing cold. And then I go into the tunnel and I'm waiting there with the security, waiting for my team to come down. And all of a sudden you start hearing, that's how like a pine that echoes out of the, the team. Kind of, 
And I don't know where it, but the adrenaline just took over. <laughs> it took over. And I see my teammates on my, like, you know, my roommates, everyone coming down the tunnel dressed in the all black. I got hyped. I'm like, oh, like I wanted to play. It was, I'm like, yeah, this, this is awesome. Like, let's go. Like, I'm ready to go out there and play. And we get in the tunnel, and then we all lock arms together. They put the axe on me. And I remember my, like, are we going to run out? Like, I, my chair just moved that fast. And, you know, all of a sudden I just started driving and we all locked by, locked in my arms for across my rows by five. And one of the coolest moments of my life. And I remember we get, we got to the end of the open by the sideline and Coach Shannon brings it up on me. And he said a prayer. He said, God, say, uh, protect this man and heal his body back to 100%. E, we love you. Let's go chop. Amen. And then we said, family on three, one, two, three, family. And I remember I saw my roommate from my freshman year, Brandon Jones, losing it, just bawling his eyes out. And then our middle linebacker, Steve Baharnas, bawling his eyes out. And that's the only moment I've been in front of Rutgers where I was just like, <clears throat> I got the frog in my throat. I got the frog in my throat. And I said, I got to get off this field. I'm about to ball my eyes out. And I just I drove off into the tunnel and Let's just say I didn't get warm until 5 a.m. that next morning. It was ridiculous. Jeez, that's amazing. But it was worth it. It was worth it, as you see in Sports Illustrated. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, like I said, I'm a Jersey guy, so I remember when all this was going on. Like, I mean, just like I said, the magnitude around it. And then, like, you take it, you know, two, people can take it two ways, right? Like, <clears throat> the situation, you know, that you, you were in, they could look at it one or two ways. They can just kind of take it and do it. But, like, you wanted to – better yourself you knew you know you're going to get back to 100 one day like you you made a career you want to be a broadcaster you went back and finished school you know you're a speaker like you're doing so many amazing things um it's incredible to see so transitioning now kind of take us through some of the stuff you've been up to now i remember we chatted about a month ago we were going to try and do this um before all this whole pandemic but um you had a lot of things in the works a lot of things coming up so kind of take us through some stuff you got going on now yeah it's been fun being a motivational speaker Sports broadcaster, uh, founder of my foundation, Team McGrath of the Chris Ferdinand and Reed Foundation. And mm-hmm. Yeah, all around, just trying to be an all-around entrepreneur, just so many different ideas just to be creative and be around people. And COVID-19 has, to say, put a damper on a lot of that, but it's not going to hold us down. And it's definitely not going to hold me down. I'm going to find my way to bounce back. But yeah, I had a bunch of, my plan was to launch a Believe 2020 plan where for my foundation, we wanted to raise $1 million in honor of my 10-year anniversary that's coming up in October. For 10 years of fighting paralysis strong, really? obviously, you know, everything has put a damper on our events and stuff, but mm-hmm. we'll bounce back and we're going to be doing some virtual events. We're going to have a virtual 5K walk run for people that are just want to do it around their neighborhood, virtual wow. Zumba event. Yeah, we're going to do some stuff with eClean Bro, who I'm working with as well, and try to donate some meals to hospitals, so. We're gonna be. We're gonna be. We got a lot of stuff in the ranks for Team McGrandon for me and with just myself. You know, we'll see how long COVID nineteen lasts. You know, if I'm gonna have to start doing, you know, speaking engagements like we're doing right here through Zoom, or will I be able to, you know, be back in person, able to do it again? Obviously, that's put a huge hit on my my life and what I do. But we'll bounce back from it. Right now, I'm just trying to take this day by day until yeah. until it's all over. Yeah. I mean, that's all we really can do now. You know, but. You actually came, you came out before, I, I'm now, I have a new job now, but you came to Publicis uh, in New York and Hudson Street in, I want to say it was August last year? Yeah. You came, and you came and spoke to, to my company, I remember that. Well, um, you asked 
You were there? I was at Publicis, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do a lot of work with the Reed Foundation, and we yeah. set up a meeting when I came up there, and I spoke in front of you guys. Yeah, I had a good time with you, with you guys. I was actually, I remember that very well. Yeah, yeah. I went to, uh, so I worked there, and then I just recently started working for VaynerMedia, the Sasha Group of VaynerMedia. In, uh, okay, so I remember I was, you guys were that building where you look down, you can see like the the wall, the wall design and all the street art, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a cool building. Yeah, I remember, I remember that very, very well. Wow. Yeah. Wow, small world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, and then so tell us a little bit more like of, of things, you, like your other plans and things you got going on, like... Mm-hmm. You know, do you have do you have anything in the works as far as like has, has anyone reached out to you about maybe like making a movie about your life or things like that? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've got so many inquiries in different avenues, but yeah, I was actually in the middle before all this started planning a a kind of a documentary on my on my life and things I'm doing now and yeah. and what now we were going to do and yeah, partner up with this company. We'll see if it's going to work. I don't even know if I can say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Shoot Palace. You know, and see, after I'm based out of California, San Francisco, California, but they wanted to do something in that realm of, you know, a documentary through their platforms and stuff. And yeah, obviously now we can't do none of that, but yeah, yeah, I'm sure that'll be in the work afterwards and we'll maybe be able to even talk about how we got through this. So, you know, more stuff is building for my story, but the biggest plan I was actually working on besides the Bleed 2020 campaign was a leadership summit mm-hmm. that I was going to have at Rutgers over at the Rack where I was going to have a business seminar for all different types of workers, whether if you're an entrepreneur, I was going to have speakers like E. Clean Bro and CEO Jamie come on and speak with his wife. I was going to have a corporate panel where the corporate world can come in and learn different techniques on how to navigate through the corporate world, dealing with crises, all that type of stuff. Then I was going to speak on mentality, having the right mindset going into the workplace. Mm-hmm. And then my coach, Shiano, was going to be at the end and bring down the house with a leadership speech. Now we're going to have a nice networking uh, VIP event afterwards. And yeah, get a lot of people involved. It was supposed to be a lot, lot of fun. But um, you should, yeah, you should. One, uh, it's, it's not going to hold us back. We'll, we'll be back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You should you should honestly reach out to Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk because he's a Jersey guy. And you probably- I know Gary. I've been, I've been up there, one, I've been up there uh, once when I had a meeting with him. Man, Gary's good, good people. So, see, if, yeah, if, if I get him up there, that would be crazy. I'm sure he would do it. He's a Jersey guy. Like, I, I'm, I'm sure he would do it. Edison, man, he lives, he lives legit grew 15 minutes away from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's awesome. Man. I, mean, what, I mean, what you're doing is incredible. And uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. And I, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, too, man. It means a lot. Um, but, yeah, man. So tell us a little bit, before we let you go, just tell us a little bit, too, about, like, we, we chop it up so we can move things around. Tell us a little bit about, Right now, the rehab process, like like what you're, how often you're you're doing things and um, progress of how far you've come in the last ten years. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm so I go to rehab now. Like you guys go to the gym, mm-hmm. I keep on my body and safe. You know, I've healed to you know, a, a, you know, healthy, healthy way where I can move my shoulders around. I can, you know, stay active and things of that nature. So I go to therapy to keep my arms strong and my body strong. Leaning myself or moving around, doing different weighted exercises from my upper body, and then they will they hook up stems to my arm where they put those stem pads on, and then I they ride the arm bike for me. They put them on my legs, and they ride the leg back where they're contracting the muscles for me to keep those muscles strong, keep the blood flowing, keep your bones strong. When I stand in the standing frame, it's very hard for me to stand now because when I stand up, I can get very dizzy because of my injury. The muscles aren't contracting to tell 
the brain, the, the blood to go back up to the brain, which what it's when you when you move around, when you do little movements, the blood is being forced back to your brain to keep it going. When you're paralyzed, nothing is contracting when you stand up. Mm-hmm. So the blood just drops out of your brain. You ever get up out of bed too fast and you get lightheaded? Like, well, yeah. just imagine that feeling when you're standing up now that sometimes you, some days are better than others, man. It's what happened to him like last week, two weeks ago. He yeah. stood up too fast. He like fell. I'm like, oh, you're like, right. Like, literally collapsed. It was the crazy. So that's when, I, when you see me ever on my Instagram and stuff standing in a standing frame, depending on the day. Some days I can be up there an hour and be fine. Or some days I'm up there for two minutes. And I'm like, Yo, go down right now because I'm about to pass out. It's a scary feeling. Yeah, yeah, really scary. Yeah. So uh, talk to us a little bit about the six-episode mini web series that you had and, you know, working with notable athletes like Tom Brady and Drew Brees, Bill Belichick. That's something we still want to, you know, we want to find an avenue for that. That's called Mission Possible. And Mission Possible was brought to me from a concept of this guy and I met he works in the disability service offices down in Villanova. And he told me about this plan that he had when they wanted me to be the host of the show. I was like, wow, that's incredible. Like, this will be awesome. And we remember we put in the working on our, our thinking caps on and we were able to get Fox Sports to sponsor us for the first year. They paid up front, you know, for us to go to the production of the show. And, you know, through my connections and everything, we were able to highlight people that are living life in the face of adversity every day, but overcoming it still. Uh, or, you know, overachieving in life that, you know, dealt them a bad hand. And we were able to highlight them where they usually wouldn't get highlighted. So we were able to do that. And we wanted to give them an experience as well where no one else would have had, like being able to meet, you know, Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, Patriots and uh, Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft and all that. And also meet The Rock at his Ballers premiere, Triple H, you know, with the WWE. You know, we wanted to put that together now. We want to do season two, but we want to tie. We need to get a sponsor behind it that believes in it too, and they would want to pay for it and get us on. We can be on, well, we can be right on Fox Sports anytime they want it on. But like I said, we gotta get a sponsor behind it now. Yeah, yeah. Would you uh, would you say you know, especially during this time, they're utilizing Zoom and all these via Skype to do you know motivational speeches? Yeah, that's what I'm about. probably going to have to start doing more of. I've, I've done a few so far, and they've been, they've been fun. It's definitely something different, but I think as we get more into this, yeah. you know, we start having to reach out, like, hey, I'm doing, you know, motivational speaking through Zoom and whatnot. I've always feel like I'm more impactful in person, but yeah. this is the world we live in now, so yeah. got to bring the fire to Zoom. <laughs> yeah, got to adapt to it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I, we really appreciate you coming on, man. Like I said, it's growing up as a Jersey kid, this story and motivation you, you, you've given to a lot of people out there. I mean, keep on doing what you're doing. Like you're, you're killing it, man. Like you're, you're an inspiration to a lot of people. So I just I want to thank you for coming on and giving us some time here. And uh, we'll be in touch because we're probably going to send you some swag, a little merchandise, a little thank you. But uh, yeah, man, I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can get you on again down the line at some point. You uh, coming up with any more books? Writing any more books? I'm working on something now for the children version right now. But in the future, yeah, especially the 10-year anniversary, I think right after we and that happens, I want to reflect on the past 10 years of my life. So stay tuned for 2021, maybe work on something like that. <laughs> but it. also with the swag, I've learned from a colleague of mine that I do the radio with, the former Rutgers alumni, Ray Lucas. If it's free, give me three. 
<laughs> I appreciate you guys. I really, you guys are awesome. Thank you, too, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. God bless. All right, guys. Take care. That's just the way. Ways don't die. Let me grab you for the moment. Yeah, I don't need to own you. No Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.